Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. You got a Bible, let's open it up. First Corinthians chapter 11, whether you're going to turn that on, whether you've got a physical copy in your hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we're going to be. We are plugging through uh, line by line the, the book of 1 Corinthians if you're new with us. So we're right in this series in chapters 11 through 14. Uh, this week will not be as weird as last week. Promise you. Okay? Uh, if you were here last week, you know where I'm at. If you need to go back and listen to that message, you can find it on YouTube. And God bless you for doing that. But man, it just got strange in here last week when we were talking about haircuts and hats. And I mean, whew, we got through it. This week, we're only going to talk about people dying at the Lord's Supper. All right? So not as weird. All right? We're going to get to that verse later. So everybody's just like, what? Yeah, it's, it's in the Bible. It's, it's always fun when you go through the Bible. But listen, let's stand. And let's read the Word of God together, because we do this, if you're new with us, because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God that He has written, given to us, so we may better understand who God is, understand who we are, see our need for our Savior by the name of Jesus, and how to live our lives out daily. So this is His Word we've opened. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 the Apostle Paul writes, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not for the Lord's supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Verse 22, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23, he writes this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took a cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, Paul writes, Whoever therefore eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself, then as so to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why some of you are weak and ill and some have died. For if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Verse 33, he says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment. 
about the other things I'll give directions when I come. Father God, we thank you this morning that we get to open your word that has been passed down throughout time uh, that we hold today. We thank you for how it is your word and it is true. We thank you that it guides us to better know who you are, to better see who we are, and the hope that we can have in your son named Jesus. And so, Father, I pray today as we move through this text that the Holy Spirit will speak to us individually, speak to us corporately as a church, help us continue, God, to align our lives under the submission of Jesus. Help us to bend our wills to you, Father. We pray in Christ's name, amen, amen. You know, when the Titanic set sail in April of 1912, there was different class levels uh, on the Titanic. So within the certain decks of the Titanic, uh, you had certain classes of people on those decks. And so certain classes could not move among the decks. So, so for instance, if you've seen the movie, there's no way that Jack is going to end up on Rose's deck. And there's no way that Rose is later in the movie going to go down and, and party with Jack's friends one night. So Rose and Jack on the Titanic historically are not going to get together because it's divided up among class systems. The Apostle Paul is pointing out a problem in the church of Corinth, and it's manifesting itself at the Lord's Supper table, and it's this. The church is divided up among class systems. And here in the church of Corinth, and you've seen it playing out at the Lord's Supper table, you kind of have the group within the church that it's the haves. The haves are going to be your entitled people within the church who are going to say, you know what, we've been here the longest, we've attended more services, we've given more money, we have served, we've done all these things, and therefore we're entitled to all this stuff, we're the haves. Then you've got this other group within the church, and it's the newer Christians coming in, and they're kind of the have-nots. They've not been there as long, they don't know all the customs, they don't know all the traditions. They're also dividing up among the poor and the rich. So the haves are going to be your rich, your have-nots are going to be the poor. And it's playing itself out in this class division at the Lord's Supper. And what's happening is now the church of Corinth has become divided. And so we've been saying through this series that when division happens within our lives, when division happens within our church, then chaos happens. And when chaos and division enter within a church and within our lives, we lose our gospel focus. We lose the focus of the mission that Jesus has, has given us. So I don't know about you, but when I look out at culture, I look in homes, and I look in churches, I'm getting a little tired of the chaos. Amen? Getting a little tired of the division. Every time I get on Twitter or Facebook or watch the news, I'm getting a little tired of division within churches and in our homes. All we're seeing is you know, being divided, being divided, being divided. And when I'm seeing all that like you're seeing that, there's part of me that just says out loud at times, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way because God is not a God of chaos. And what you're seeing and what you'll see through 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through 14 is God is this God of order. And when we find the order that God wants us to live in, then we find peace within our homes, within culture, within our churches. And here's how that order happens. Here's where we find it. Here's where we end the chaos and the division. It's this, and we're going to put it on the screen for you. If you want to write it down, you want to take a screenshot. Here's the solution to, vi to divisions in churches. It's this, is to believe in and to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's how we end divisions in culture. 
It's how you get rid of the division in your marriage and in your home and within your churches. Is you believe in and you live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we believe that Christ Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our lives, who's died on the cross for us, rose from the grave to be able to provide us eternal life, when we believe in that, but then we live that out by loving other people, by sharing that good news with them, living out that submission to the Lord day by day. So this morning as we move through this text, we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. I wanna give you three words that are really gonna prepare our hearts that are gonna help us live this gospel out that we believe. The first word's this, it's gonna be proclamation. All right? We need to understand that when we come to the Lord's Supper table, there is something very intentionally we do in living out the gospel message of Jesus, and it's a proclamation that we make. Let's pick up in verse 26. I'm gonna just dump you right in the middle of the text. The Apostle Paul says this, for as often as you eat this bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what we see in verse 26 is this idea of proclamation, that when we take the bread and the cup, there's a message we are preaching visually. It's like a visual aid to the spoken gospel message. We're proclaiming something. Now, I know for some Christians, when they come to the Lord's table, they do this. Well, this is all about me, not really about the church. It's about me. It's what I'm doing today. I don't really care about the guy over here, you know, in the sound booth side because I'm way over here on the left side of the sanctuary, right? Or the people up in the middle are like, well, I don't care what the people over to the right do. I'm here doing the Lord's Supper myself, right? There is an element of the individual taking of the Lord's Supper, which you are to remember what Jesus has done individually. Yes, but here's where we miss it. This is a corporate action that we are doing as a body of believers that is called Heights Baptist Church. Because in verse 26, if you want to just do it with me, look in the word in verse 26, you. Now, when you read you in verse 26, you might think Paul is just talking about you. But actually, in the Greek, the you is plural. So it's Paul saying... When y'all do this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death. When you guys do this, for any of our friends from north of the Mason-Dixon line, do this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming a message as a church to a very divided culture and sometimes in divided churches. What's the message is this. The first message we proclaim is that we need to be saved. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we need to remember that. We need to be saved. Pick back up in verse 24 with me. Paul writes this. When Jesus was betrayed that night, he took bread. We had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, or your translation may say broken for you or given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So every time you come to the Lord's Supper and you come to the bread, you need to remember this, I need to be saved. And it was by the death of Jesus on the cross that salvation is possible. See, if you could get to heaven based on your good works, based on all the good things that you do, then Jesus would not have had to die. He wouldn't have to die if it's all about works. There's no death for Jesus if you can earn your way to heaven. 
And listen, for some of you, you might be thinking that today. Man, I'm a good person. Like, I've not done anything like morally really bad, right? I, I can be good enough to get to heaven. Let me stop you and ask this question. If you think you can earn your way into heaven for all of eternity, how do you know you've earned enough in this life to get there? I mean, really, honestly, just think about this for a moment. You're out today and you're cutting the grass and you see a snake come in your yard. Now, I know this is always the debate on Facebook when some of you push like snake pictures on, like, is this a good snake or what kind of snake? Or There's like Facebook groups for this, right? Like identify the snake. Here's the kind of snake it needs to be, dead, right? I mean, like, it be dead. Like, I don't care what kind of snake it is, like good, bad, it's dead in my mind. That's what I want it to be. Let's say you're out cutting your grass. Snake slithers out, and you use the Lord's name in vain. Caught you by surprise, you curse, you take the Lord's name in vain, right? All right, that's a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. Now what do you need to do to even out that sin? Wash the dishes for a month? I mean, like, do all the laundry? Pull up at Gordon Street stoplight, stop and like help a lady across the street? Like, I mean, how do you know if you ever balance the good with the bad? The thing is, you don't. You don't. You will die not knowing. But here's Jesus who says, I've died for you. I've taken your sin upon me. I've given my body for you. I've broken for you. I've given myself to you. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we realize when we take the bread that Jesus died for us. But then Paul also mentions a cup. And he says this in verse 25. He says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we come to the bread, we remember, man, we need to be saved. And Jesus died for us. We come to the cup, we remember what we need to be saved. And it's by the blood of Jesus that now our sin is forgiven. The book of Hebrews says it over and over and over again that the blood of the bulls and the goats and all those sacrificial animals could not take away the sin of people permanently. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, you're not redeemed with gold and perishable things, but you're bought with a price by the precious blood of Christ. All right, so when we come to the Lord's table, that's what we're proclaiming, that we need to be saved. But when you come to the Lord's table and you take the Lord's Supper, the second part of the message we proclaim is this, that we can be saved. Right? We come and we take the elements of the bread and the cup going, man, we need to be saved. But when we do this, we can say, boy, we can be saved. Because I want you to notice in verses 24 and 25 again. All right, Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Right? He says, do this in remembrance of me. That means this, Christ did this for you. I love Psalm 139. I was reading it again this morning. And in Psalm 139, there's a part of the psalm that said, God thinks about you. God thinks about us. Just stop and think about that for a moment. The creator of all of the universe thinks about you today. Right? So it is possible for you to be saved. So you are not too bad, you're not too far gone, it's not too late, salvation is possible for you today 
if you have breath in your lungs, right? You've not sinned your way out of being saved. You're not too bad. I always love when people, when I get a chance to share the gospel with them, a lot of times they'll say, oh man, I just, you don't know what I've done, right? If God ever knew all the things I've done, there's no way he'd forgive me. I stop him like, listen, God knows what you've done. He's God. And he knows what you've done, and he's still willing and wanting to save you and to redeem you. Some of you in your life group got this email yesterday, and I shared it on Facebook. But we have a church member uh, who has been faithfully praying for her mother, who they grew up in another religion and another culture, praying and sharing the gospel with her mom and praying for her for decades. And I got an email on Saturday morning saying, while visiting my mother, who is at near the end of her life, the doctors gave her like two weeks ago, a month ago, right? Right at the end of my life, my mom just prayed to receive Christ Jesus. Amen? Not awesome news? Decades of praying and sharing and agonizing over the mother's salvation. Praise the Lord. God's still in the saving business. Amen? And so that's what you need to remember this morning. Amen. Let's do that. That's what you need to remember this morning. We take this. We are proclaiming we need to be saved and that we can be saved. Let me show you one more part of, of how God loves you so much. Let's look at the screen. Some of you know this verse off the top of your head, John three sixteen, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. A lot of times when I share the gospel with people, I like to take John 3.16, and, and I like to do this. I take out the word, the world. And I just say, you know, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. You don't have to do it out loud, but think about it this morning. Just insert your name right there in the first blank. I'm going to put my name in there. For God so loved Lee, that he gave his only son, that if Lee believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, that, that's you today. For God so loved Mary, you know, that if he gave his only begotten son, that if Mary believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved Tom, that he gave his only son, that if Tom believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. That's good news, that we need to be saved, that God saves us. But the third part of this message that we proclaim when we come to the Lord's table is that death and suffering is not the end of us, right? We, we say, hey, we need to be saved. We can be saved. But death and suffering, it's not the end of us as believers in Jesus Christ. Pick up in verse 26 again. Notice how Jesus ends this. It says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For as often as you eat this bread, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? He comes. What's he pointing you to? What's Paul pointing you to? He's pointing you to the second coming of Jesus. Wait a minute, I thought he died on the cross, right? How's a, how's a dead guy coming back a second time? Because he had a resurrection. And when he came back out of the grave, he ascended to heaven where he's sitting right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty waiting to come again. Right? And so this means as believers in Jesus Christ, when we take the bread and we take the cup, we're proclaiming, hey, we need to be saved, we can be saved, but suffering and death 
It is not the end of us as believers in Jesus Christ. Yes, there's parts where we suffer, we hurt, we grieve, we mourn, we go through hard trials, but death is not the finality of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Because like that old hymn many of you grew up on says, because he lives, what? We can face tomorrow, right? Because he lives, man, we can face tomorrow because our tomorrow is secure in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a, a lot of writings on the early church in the first and second, third century. And uh, I was reading a book recently that kind of went over some of the practices of the early church. And one of the practices of the early church, when they worshiped, they did something with their hands that I thought was pretty unique that I'd never heard before. Because I know we're Baptists, a lot of us in here, and we just don't know what to do with our hands when we sing, right? I mean, that's a legitimate problem. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. But like, you, you don't know, do I like, like, do I do this? Do I put them in my pockets? Some of you do this. Some of you do this. You know, like if you were raised Baptist, Baptist, you know not to shake your hips, right? And so like when you get into the song, you just kind of like sway a little bit. You know, like, like you, you can't pick the feet up or something's going to happen up in heaven and an angel's going to lose its wings if you like, if your hips move wrong. You know, I mean, like some of you were raised that way. Some of you put a hand up, some of you are a little more Pentecostal, you put two hands up, right? Or, you know, you're like, I, I just don't know what to do with my hands. You know what they did in the early church? A lot of times when they sang, they did this. Stretch their hands out horizontally. You know why? Because they were saying, hey, this is a picture of the cross. You know what the picture of the cross is? It's a picture of triumph. Right? It's a picture of victory for us as believers in Jesus Christ. So they stretched their arms out horizontally, saying, we're going to give you a picture of what Jesus did for us, and he bought our salvation, and he won the day for us. So when we come to the Lord's table, we're proclaiming a message together that we need to be saved, we can be saved, and death is not the end of us. But I want you to notice the second word this morning. As we get our hearts and minds ready to partake of this, and it's this, is Participation. All right, so we got proclamation. We're getting ready to participate in this. So if we are proclaiming a message, who then is the Lord's Supper for? Who should take this? Well, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. He's writing to disciples of Jesus. So this is something we do as believers in Jesus Christ. This is something for those of us that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. Because again, we got a message to proclaim. So this is for the church. This is for disciples to take. But I want you to notice what Paul says about this group. Pick up in verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. <laughs> Hey guys, I, man, you guys got some stuff we got to talk about. Because when you come together, all right, so when you have church, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Right? That's, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Paul's almost saying like, it's almost better if you guys don't have church right now. Because <laughs> when you get together, it's actually bad you're together than good. And here's the problem. In verses 20 through 22, it says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Right? What shall I say to you? I, I don't commend you in this. So here's the problem in participating in this church at the Lord's Supper. Now, remember, this is a day and a period in time when they don't have a lot of church buildings. Right? So when they gather... They're gathering in homes to have church. Now let's just stop and logically think about a few things. 
where are they going to gather in people's homes? It's going to be people who have the homes who have the room for people to gather in, right? So it's going to be more than likely the rich church members, right? So you got rich and poor. Remember, that was the class division within this church. So they're gathering in the homes of the, the, the wealthy members, right? Because they've got the room. They've got the ability to do that. What Paul's saying, though, is when you gather in a typical worship gathering at this point is you come in, you maybe sing some songs, you go through a message, read a letter like Paul, talk about scripture, then you have a meal, right? And you eat a meal each time you gather. This is where the Baptist in the room are like, yeah, get into this, right? So you have a potluck each, each time you get together. And then at the end of singing and eating together and listening to some scripture, then you take the Lord's Supper later at the very, very end. So here's the problem that Paul's illustrating. Over here, guess who's pretty much not working nine to five all the time? It's the wealthier members, right? Because they can hire out people to work. So they're showing up first to the homes. They're getting the best seats. They're getting their seats that they've always saved and they've always sat in. But now they're eating all the food because they got here first. Then you have the poorer members who've had to work all day in the Houston sun, God bless them, right? And they're showing up and there's no food left. And Paul's like, some of you have been eating and drinking long enough that you're getting drunk. Like, that's how bad this church was, right? They're getting drunk at church, right? And so Paul's like, you guys have been feasting all this time and you've not saved any for the poorer members. So when the poorer members get there, there's no food for them. All they're getting on the way out the door is a little bit of the bread and a swig of the cup when they take the Lord's Supper. Now they're going home hungry. So what you have playing out in this class system is this. You've got the rich members, the haves, who go, we don't care about those people, and we don't really want them here. And then you've got the have-nots, the poorer members who show up, and they're like, we're really mad at those people because they don't care about us, and we need some help. They have the means to help us, and they're not helping us. So you have this division within the church. And I understand this about churches. Is we always should have a diversity among us. Right? Now stay with me on this. Diversity in a church is not bad. Diversity should be welcomed. Because if we are effectively reaching the community around us, then at some levels we should be reflecting the community that lives around us. So that means within a church, you should always have a, a, you know, a diversity of ages. You're going to have a diversity of wealth. You're going to have a diversity of education. You're going to have a diversity of religious backgrounds. Some of you grew up Baptist. Some of you grew up like me, Methodist. Maybe some of you didn't grow up in church at all. You had a diversity within churches of political beliefs. You got Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians. Some of you don't even know what any of those words mean, right? You have diversity of thoughts about a worship style. Some of you like the more traditional hymns. Some of you like the contemporary songs. Some of you like me, you're in the middle and say, hey, let's just sing about Jesus, right? I mean, so you've got all these things within a church. You have second and third tier theological issues within a church that we don't all agree on the second and tier, third tier things, right? So number one, number one tier is we all agree on Jesus, right? You want to be a member of our church? You got to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. Third day he rose again, he's coming back, and it's Jesus and Jesus only that saves. That's not compromised within this church. That is what we believe. A second and third tier issue is going to be something that a lot of you like to debate. It's the rapture of the church. Right? We don't all agree on the rapture of the church in this room. 
You know, some of you are going to be like, hey, I'm pre-tribulation rapture. That means this. Jesus is going to call up his church, rapture him, and then you're going to have the seven-year period of tribulation. You're going to have a mid-tribulation belief within the church. Middle of the seven-year time, Jesus is going to call up the people, you know, the Christians. And you're going to have a post-trib, you know, belief within the church. You're going to go all the way through the seven-year tribulation period, then Jesus is going to rapture his church. You can pull out all your charts. You can pull out all your graphs. You can throw all the Bible verses up against the wall as you want to about this issue. Here's where I land. Are you ready? I'm pro-rapture. I'm for it. You know why I'm pro-rapture and I'm for it and I don't take a hard position on pre-pit, you know, pre-mid-post? You know why? Because God's going to do it when God wants to do it, all right? Uh, he's just going to do it when he wants to do it. So here's where I'm at. Today, man, I'm pre-trib. I'm tired of paying the gas prices. I'm tired of the rising prices and everything. Like, I'm like, Lord, let's roll, all right? I'm ready. Let's get out of here. Let's go pre-trib. Sounds awful great today. But you know what? I, in my heart, I'm also post-trib because we got vacation Bible school coming this week. And there's some boys and girls that need Jesus. So I'm also like, hey, Lord, can you leave us here a little longer because we still got some work to do, right? And so it doesn't matter on those second, third, you know, third tier issues. We're, we're going to have a lot of discussion on those things. We're going to have a lot of diversity within the room. And here's the thing about it. Is if diversity leads to division, then chaos happens within a church and you lose your focus on the gospel. So our diversity should never lead to division that's going to cause disruption in the mission that God's given us. Instead, what we do is we take our diversity and we rally around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we go, here's who he is and here's what he's called us to do. Let's go win some souls for Christ. So here's where we're at. We've got a message to proclaim when we do this. We know who's going to take it as believers in Christ. But then the third part of this that often gets overlooked is examination. And we need to examine ourselves before we take this. Paul says in verse 27 this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, when you read that word unworthy, a lot of times people come to that and they go, look, I'm not worthy to take this. I mean, how in the world am I worthy to take the Lord's Supper? And you know what? You're right. We're, I'm not, you're not, we're not worthy compared to Jesus to take the Lord's Supper. But that's not what Paul's talking about there. The word is actually an adverb in the Greek, and it can be translated this way, unworthily. Right? So if you're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthily manner, then that's where you are in judgment. Unworthily means this. Your attitude is such that you're in here today, boy, you're praising Jesus today, you're putting your hands up, you're clapping, you're all on fire for Christ, and then you're going to walk out of here later, and you're not going to think about God for another week. That's unworthily. An unworthy manner is saying this, I've got sin in my life, I know it's sin, and I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to call myself a Christian in name, and then I'm going to live my life for the way I want to live my life. Who's God to tell me what to do anyway? That's an unworthy manner. See, you can have sin in your life today where you say, you know what? I've got this problem. I've confessed it before the Lord. I'm working on it. I'm getting help. I'm seeing counseling. I've got accountability partners. I'm struggling with this sin. 
Struggling is good with sin in our lives. We want to struggle and fight against sin in our lives. What Paul's saying is unworthy manner is saying, I know I've got sin as a Christian and I don't care. Paul's saying, look, if that's you, very seriously, don't touch these elements. If you're in here today and you say, you know what, that's me. I, I, don't, I don't care what I do. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Who's God tell me? Don't touch this. Don't do this later. You know why? Because he, he says in verse 30, that's a reason why some of you are sick and some of you have died within the church. Now, is that every reason that you get sick? <laughs> is that every reason that someone dies within a church because they've done this in an unworthy manner? No, but that's a reason some have. It's a reason some have over time because God still operates that way. And so what we're about to do is something very serious that we need to make sure our hearts and minds are, are ready to do. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're ready to proclaim a message that we believe that we need to be saved, we can be saved, death and suffering is not the end of us. We come to do this together, participating together as a church without divisions among us, without hate in our heart toward another race, without another political party. There's no hate in our heart toward another person. There's not unforgiveness and, and having a spirit of divisiveness. And when we come to this and saying, Lord, we, we believe that it is Christ that has forgiven us of our sin, and we're coming ready to celebrate, remember you, and proclaim what you've done. So here's what you and I need to do. We, we need to just take a few moments and get our hearts and minds ready. And just ask the Holy Spirit to deal with us. Ask him to reveal what's in our heart and mind that, that may be pointing us to a spot where we need to get something right before we take this. And so I, I love the verses in Psalm 139. And uh, you can write these down, verses 23 and 24. This is Psalm from David. Where, where David has said all throughout the psalm, God, wherever you are, I am. I, I can't get away from you, God. You're everywhere I am. And David says this as he ends up the psalm. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And when David says, God, show me if there's any grievous way, if there's any sin within me, then God, lead me to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He shows us our sin, and then he points us right over to Jesus and say, go to him with it. So I want to invite you just right I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you that's a really important story in the Bible, and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus, and it's late in the evening, and he sits down with Jesus, and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus asks a very practical question. We all would think, well, how in the world can someone be physically born twice? But Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ, our spirits are dead. That we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth and our spirits come alive. 
And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. And simply put it this way, did Jesus do everything he possibly could do to save you on the cross? Or is there something else out there? Is he the only way or are there other ways? You know, the way to be saved is to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And friend, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you die, one day he will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today, right where you are, to receive them and believe in him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm going to encourage you in your heart today to mean these words because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? You can simply say, Dear God, today I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him in Him alone. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you, if you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith, you can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page. And we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you soon.